0: Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bones. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and Saint Peter don't you call me cause I can go. I owe Hello, my welcome to T.
1: Hanks to for the, the memories. I am your host stole. Aaron. Today we are going to be covering Joe versus the Volcano. Uh, that legal case of the early 90s. I'm sure everybody remembers. Um, it was released on the 9th of March 1990. This is the first film of the 90s for Tom. Uh they're going to get off to a rocky start and then things are going to start to improve. Um, This was a box office flop. It didn't quite make back half its money. And in the early 90s, if you didn't do that, you definitely were a box office flop. These days, we can kind of get around it, you know, like things will make money elsewhere. But uh, a film like this in 1990, barely making half its box office, that is not a success. Um, It was mildly well reviewed, but still not enough to get people coming out there. Tom Hanks is getting top billing once again, though he's sharing it with his leading lady. Uh, In this case, the first of a trilogy that they will be doing uh, with Meg Ryan. And joining me to talk about this today, I have Robert Black. Hello. I have Helen herbst Lestar. Hello. And I have Andy Nelson. Once more returning, everyone at this point should be familiar with Andy.
0: Hello again.
1: I mean, I I, I asked the guests if they could remember the first time they saw this film. And for me, the answer to that is yes, uh, two hours ago. Uh, (laughs) Because I've never seen this film before today. So... I was like, OK, uh, I, as I mean, Andy's familiar with this, but generally when I watch these films, I tend to watch them a few hours before recording just so I can keep things fresh. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously I knew about this film. i would seen this poster with the big moon and the pair of them, you know, for the last 30, 31 years, however long this it's been since this came out. Um but at no point have i ever thought to myself i should watch the film called joe versus the volcano and i think it now these days i think it has like a kind of a cult status um obviously its initial box office failure probably is one of those things that contributed towards that obviously 1990 would end worse for tom as his next <laughs> film is Did it, did I mean, became a legendary failure? So, I guess this is in the shadow of that, it looks slightly better. So, yeah, I mean, for me, today's the first time I've ever seen this film. Uh, I don't know about when everybody else saw him. I'm gonna ask Andy because obviously, you are the the resident Tom Hanks fan, um, having seen all of his films in the 80s apparently, having posters and various other things for them. So, uh, I mean, I'm gonna
0: guess you probably maybe you saw this at the cinema. I did, I did see this at the cinema, I saw it opening weekend and uh i've loved it ever since i i'm i probably saw it a couple times in the theater i would guess uh if i had to guess but um yeah it's always been one that i love
2: i don't know exactly what year i first saw this it probably like 94 or 95 or something but i remember specifically it was on a coach bus on the way to a school field trip of some kind and I only sort of paid attention. It would have been nine or ten at this time. But I had, like, sort of warm feelings toward the film from that point on. And then I ended up marrying someone for whom Joe vs. the Volcano was his favorite movie. Um, okay. And I parlayed my having sort of watched it on a bus, like, when I was ten, into, like, never having to watch it with him ever. So I had never seen it again until yesterday. Um <laughs> And I, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but I feel still sort of warm about it, maybe.
3: <laughs> I saw it in the theater, but I don't know how soon. It was at the Academy Theater, which was a second-run theater. So it probably was a couple weeks in, okay. at least. And I'm pretty sure it was a double bill with Madhouse. I think we should talk a little bit about the director, uh, John Patrick Shanley.
1: Uh, this is his directing debut. He was mostly known as like a writer, uh, and a playwright in particular. And... If you were to say to a hundred people, would you guess what the the next film this person directed is? I don't think that any of those people would ever say, oh, it's that movie Doubt where four out of the four main actors <laughs> were nominated for a Best Acting Oscars. Like, it's insane that he went from... Like, I mean, I guess... Um, I don't know, like, because this film is effectively meant to be a fairy tale, you know, starting with the Once Mm -hmm. Upon a Time and the the Happily Ever After, spoiler alert for the end of this film. But yeah, so like, it's kind of odd that this is his debut. And then 18 years later, he he directs like his Pulitzer Prize winning play on film with like, I don't know, it's such a, like, it's such an interesting kind of turn in terms of like a career. It
2: makes kind of a lot of sense to me because he had had he had just come off of huge success with Moonstruck and I assume the studio was like alright you get to do whatever you want and so he yeah. did and then not so much success and not so many studios saying you can do whatever you want until he <laughs> finally after like 30 years of successful playwriting and production finally had a Pulitzer Tony winning play and they're like okay fine you can come back into the fray Welcome to Hollywood again.
1: Yeah, it's just, I mean, uh, yeah, it's uh, like, I just don't, I don't know that anybody would watch those, t- like watch Doubt after watching this and be like, yeah, this is the same guy. Like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> like it's so, Yeah. I don't know. I th- That's that's the thing that like interested me the most about this film was like, you know, I knew who John Patrick Shanley was, you know, I'd seen Doubt at the cinema. So I was like, oh, I know who this guy is. And then when I, you know, obviously I, I was aware of Moonstruck and a film which I haven't seen, by the way. Oh, um, oh. So I might have to watch yeah. that at some point so I can <laughs> yes. fill out. Uh...
2: <laughs> I'll do a minute by minute Moonstruck podcast and you can be on half of the episodes.
1: <laughs> I mean, if if I was to just watch it minute by minute and not know what's happening in the next minute, that I think that would be an interesting podcast, <laughs> um, you know, just to get my raw reaction 60 seconds at a time. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of was aware of his career, but like, you know, when I saw Doubt, but... Like this, I mean, this film, like its entire tone is so completely, I mean, I guess there's a, I I, I mean, (laughs) Doubt is obviously a film where there's like a question about the the protagonist and if you can trust people and all this kind of, I I don't know that that's the same in this film, Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's such a, such a, like his career is so strange. It's one of those careers where you're like, um, you know, obviously he spends most of his time as a playwright, but like when he decides to do films, you're like, he's obviously making a choice. Um, And yeah, and I think the studio probably was like, Moonstruck made a ton of money. What do you want to do next? Um, And as with most kind of sophomore efforts, um, they kind of came up short. (laughs) And, uh, you know, but then again, I, I feel like the poster doesn't do this film any justice, like just a gigantic moon with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan against it. I'm like, it's not really telling me um
3: what it's what the whole premise well you said you was, haven't like seen the Moonstruck. i think <laughs> that poster was going to that 100%. Moonstruck audience
2: 100 percent. That, that is a big visual yeah moon.
1: yeah i get i mean i guess maybe someone was like look moons that's yeah. that's the you know if i'm going to give you one word it'll be
2: moons <laughs> that's the shanley magic there that's right <laughs>
1: yeah i'm disappointed the poster for doubt wasn't just uh um you know a <laughs> P- psh up against a gigantic moon i mean you know, could have looked like a halo around it. Would could have been so. a, you know, could have been a thing. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> it, well, it's it's interesting because I mean, if you look at the work that, that Shanley's done, I mean, this definitely is the anomaly, right? I mean, look at the different plays that he's worked on and, and uh, stuff. It it definitely feels like doubt is more the type of project that he works on, and this seems like kind of a. Uh, just a, a light fancy that he decided to dip into. I mean, there's there's movies that he you know, has come out and said he did just for the money, like the adaptation of Crichton's um, Congo. Oh, what's Congo? Congo. Yeah. But yeah, but when you look at generally the stuff he does, I think that it's largely more kind of the serious work. Um, so, uh, so I think it's. I mean, yeah, I I I'm sure he was thrilled to have the chance to kind of direct this uh, light. Uh, fairy tale of a film. Now, have any of you seen his latest
3: film, though? Wild Mountain Time? Is Is that the one? Wild Mountain Time. Mm -mm. Uh Yeah. Take the serious tone of something like Doubt, and then a ridiculously insane twist of fantasy at the end that just makes you (laughs) be like, what did I just watch? Oh.
1: Okay, I'll check it out.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Based on another play of his. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, so I mean, you know, it feels like we couldn't pass without just saying, well, you know, I mean, well done, John Patrick Shanley for just, you know, somebody saying how much money do you want? And, you know, what film do you want to make? And he was like, I'm going to do this film about a guy who's dying, who's going to chuck himself into a volcano. (laughs) And Warner Brothers were like, sure, go make that, (laughs) you know, Uh, trusting that it will have the same success as Moonstruck, which obviously it did not. Um, but yeah, so let's uh, you know get into the whole premise of what this is uh, it's a story about a guy called Joe um, and he's taking on a volcano um, but this film will take an hour and 20 minutes to get anywhere near that premise and we'll spend the rest of the time having Meg Ryan play triplets, I mean um, I guess they had, uh, I, I like that Robert's shaking his head at me, I know they're not triplets Robert Um <laughs> 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 I, lo- I mean i think it's interesting again like the fact that he i mean obviously he knew what he had with meg uh ryan so he was like uh, instead of me casting two other actresses to play these roles um let's just have meg ryan do three different roles and let's have tom hanks not notice that they all look like at the time one of the most beautiful women in the world <laughs> like he doesn't even
0: spot it no, um all it he, takes is he kind of spots it uh, yeah, I mean thematically, yeah, Is that, yeah. But yeah, that yeah. says
2: it strikes me very much as like a a stage play sort of a decision to make, wherein you're like, okay, yeah. we have uh, a cast of five total and only one woman, and we have to stretch it to fill all of these characters. And I love Ryan's performance in it, but I kept waiting for the story to bear out like why they had to be portrayed by the same person. And except for like the cheeky nods, where Tom Hanks is saying, "Did I ever tell you?" I feel like I've met you somewhere before. Like there isn't really anything solid. Well, I think that
0: I think that goes to the fairy tale element, yeah. of it. and that's how I always, always have read it.
2: Um, so,
1: plays Mr. Banks, someone who in later life he will save. Um, uh, downtrodden everyman is what, uh, I think is how we could say, I mean, downtrodden is probably, uh, he does a lot of treading in the opening <laughs> yeah. sequence, and I, I, I understand what was being gone for here, like, they basically want to make his, his, you know, his, his office job at the start, uh, or factory job, should I say, because that's, that's where he ends up. <laughs> factory as, like, office. like the most... Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. there's kind of, yeah, it a bit of a kind of weird. Like he spends a lot of time walking past a factory and then ends up in an office. And I'm like, oh, okay. And yeah, it's like literally the most miserable that anyone has ever been in any job. I mean, the really kind of you know. Obviously, I love Dan Hedaya. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have done a podcast about Clueless. And he he is kind of this. I don't, he's like a boss who is stuck in this weird cycle of just saying the same three lines <laughs> over and over again.
2: I love that.
0: One of the best things. <laughs>
1: To start off with, having never seen this film before, when I was watching it, I was like, um, what is he... Like, he keeps going, like, he can get the job, but can he do the job? And I was like, okay. And then he said it a second time, and I was like, what is going on I'm with not James
2: arguing with you about this. <laughs> <I
1: don't argue laughs> yeah. And he, <laughs> and he kind of gets... Like, he's on the phone to someone, and he just gets stuck in this kind of loop as um, Tom Hanks kind of enters the office, um, you know, walking past Meg Ryan... And it's just kind of funny that he, like, he literally just keeps saying the same things over and over. Um, And obviously, you know, this kind of gives um, Joe, like, the kind of, the the feeling that he's kind of stuck. Um, And as a viewer, for a few minutes, I think it did the same to me. I was (laughs) like, it's, like, what is... Like I, I understood the effect they were going for, but I, I must say if I was in the cinema and I was kind of forced to sit through down the day and, and say these lines over and over again, I would start to get a little bit uncomfortable in my seat. And I'd be like, okay, like, you know, when is this going to, you know, when is this going to pay off? Fortunately it does pretty quickly, but at the same time, like the repetition at the start, um, it's just, kind of, it's an interesting way of kind of um, making the audience feel kind of claustrophobic.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, Intensely dystopian right off the bat in a way that I didn't remember or associate with this movie in any way, um, and they, they like Dan Hidea's piece just lays it on extra thick. Um, I was impressed. It was like I don't know, not, it was, like Brazil has like some color in it, like something <laughs> infused in there, but like it's it it was aiming for that kind of tone.
1: I mean, Brazil has the song Brazil in it, it so does, at the very least, you know? it's like up-tempo, <laughs> this, like, this opening song of, like, how... Um, I, I can't remember if is the song is called Company Store. I think that's what yeah. it's called. Um, where it's, like, I own myself tons. to the company store. Yeah, 16 tons. Oh, it was, like... I think, I think the claustrophobia and the kind of um, why everything feels so terrible it, I think is probably down to the production designer, Bo Welch, who, you know, throughout the whole film, does a really good job of kind of um, really kind of setting the mood in terms of... I mean... Uh, we've also got some of the signs, which includes home of the rectal yeah. probe, which is just like mm-hmm. um, you <laughs> know, 50 like... years
2: of petroleum jelly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So, I, you know, I guess they're painting a picture of exactly what they do at this at this particular factory. But yeah. And we we find out that Joe Banks is um, a hypochondriac, um, but also he might be sick. Like these, these two things might be connected. Right, and he looks
3: it because of that lighting.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, no, he does. Yeah, the kind of the he looks awful. The fluorescents are kind of buzzing, Oof. and he keeps like hitting them. He's got this this like uh, lamp on his desk that I think is meant to alleviate all this. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, so I mean, you know, he's not feeling well. He tells his boss he's got to go to the doctor. Um, you know, because he, he's got it. Yeah, again, yeah, <laughs> again, like his, his boss is not happy. Look, from, from, from the point of view of Dan Hidayah, I would say I'm fully behind what he's saying in that, like, you know, stop going to the doctors during work time. Come on, Joe, you know, book it after, after work. If you've got to keep going to the doctor, like, you know, booking it during work time just seems a little like, you know, I mean, you know, but yeah, so he is, he's a hypochondriac who keeps going to the doctor. So you would think by now that they have found something. My own mother works for a GP. And she says that hypochondriacs are literally the worst patients in the world Um, because (laughs) no matter what you tell them, they always think there's something else. So if you say to them, oh, we've done like literally a full x-ray of your body, they'll be like, oh, well, then there's something wrong with my stomach. And then you'll give them like, you know, a barium enema and they'll be like, oh, there's something wrong with my lungs. Like literally every time you kind of solve a problem, they find something else. Um, And I feel like Dan Hedaya is, like, that's what Joe Banks is to him. He's, like, this guy who keeps, like, feeling sick. Although, admittedly, Tom Hanks does a really good job of, like, selling, like, being ill at the start of the film. Um, And I should say as well, like, throughout the rest of the film, like, you know, obviously Meg Ryan does a stellar kind of job of playing three different, like, distinct characters. Um, But uh, at the same time, Tom Hanks kind of goes through this arc at the start where he literally is kind of, like, downtrodden and sick and he will kind of as the film goes on he will kind of gradually kind of change um you know and, and you know get, he gets a you know a, a proper arc where his character grows throughout the whole you know kind of film yeah so he goes to this doctor uh doctor ellison and he tells him that he has a brain cloud um and that is what is making him ill uh and and he but he says it has no symptoms Um, But, you know, that is the thing that is making you ill. Uh, Now, obviously, if I was Tom Hanks, I'd be a little bit suspicious of this. But with him being a hypochondriac, Joe Banks accepts this diagnosis. And then he says, you've probably got five or six months to live. (laughs) And so, you know, make of it what you will. Well, uh, and doctor... it helps
0: that Robert Stack is his doctor oh, yes. because I mean, you know, the face of believability <laughs> at that time, right? With, so uh... serious. Yeah, <laughs> he's just so. That's
1: great. what I was gonna say. Is like John uh, Robert Stack as Doctor Ellison. He like he completely deadpans it, and yeah. like you you believe that he could give someone bad news and not really be that concerned. Like he's told this person they're about to die, and you know he just is com- completely straight faced. Um, and he does say to him something that will, you know, pay off in roughly 90 minutes time. Do you want to get a second opinion? And with him being a hypochondriac, uh, Joe Banks is like, no, but also more importantly, and I again, we get some trademark Tom Hanks yelling as he reveals to Dr. Ellison, you know, because uh, he's Dr. Ellison is like, you know, live your life. And he's like, I've got no money. Uh, because I keep spending on doctors and tests. And so when he says, do you want to get a second opinion? He's like, no, because he doesn't want to spend any more money on doctors. So it kind of plays into Dr. Ellison's hand, as we will find out later on in the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, I the kind of the whole, the funny thing is like the whole kind of like brain cloud thing. Um, being someone who has not watched the film before, I was immediately like, what?
2: Um
1: <laughs> <laughs> and by the end of the film, I was like, "Oh, so you know, I I was understandably like, something's going on here, um, but you know, it's going to take us a while to find out about it."
2: Yeah, um, I feel so, like it could how- conceivably be some sort of fairy tale diagnosis in this universe. So it, it, yeah. I believe it enough <laughs> to go with the premise. And then Joe has that wonderful line of like, "Okay, so I'm not sick." Except for this terminal illness, which is just one of the best.
3: <laughs> Perfect.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it starts with Once Upon a Time. So, yeah, we are kind of in this fairy tale. I don't know who is telling this fairy tale, but I'm going to guess it's somebody who is at the end of the film um, who is telling the audience this fairy tale. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, Robert Stack is only in this one scene. And... Um, he's not really a hugely well-known personality over here in this country uh, because hmm. the show he presented did not travel. Um, but I I know him from I think uh, Amazon Women on the Moon, uh, where he plays like the exact same character basically that he did in real life. So it was kind of like a parody of his own his own TV show in that in that film. So I knew him from that, uh, but that's literally all I know. Robert Stack from, like, you know, I just, I was like, okay. Um, But again, he only appears in this one scene and he delivers the bad news um, and kind of like instantly, uh, I mean, we should say as well that like his previous job is brought up. He's been like uh, working at this particular factory for, you know, a number of years. I think he said like six years, something like that. Eight. Eight years. Oh, there you go. And and previous to that, he was a firefighter um, and he was like a noticeably like heroic firefighter who went back into buildings. um, And, you know, Dr. Ellison is saying that, you know, maybe the trauma from that job has affected him, um, you know, which kind of makes sense in terms of like his his hypochondria, um, you know. And of course, you know, this diagnosis encourages Joe, who kind of very slowly decides to go back to his office. Uh, he, which again, like he's just kind of waiting for a taxi or something to go back to his office. Um, and he, once he returns to his office, um, he, he starts, um, he, he obviously then makes his intentions known because he starts, he does this thing with like a rubber arm, uh, where he's like arm wrestling against himself, which again, I, I mean, you know, this is why you get Tom Hanks. He's good at this like kind of physical stuff um and then he starts getting that arm and running it over his boss's desk <laughs> to you know Dan Hedea is visibly sh- kind of like wonders what's going who's, on who's still on the um, phone
0: yeah mm-hmm. it's yeah, still <laughs> stuck in
1: that same conversation as well yeah so uh yeah. it finally gets interrupted by um this arm now earlier he'd said to uh he'd said to Joe to take the the, the nice lamp off his desk um which he did um reluctantly um and now he's back he's he's here to quit his job and he kind of quits and then he goes into his office and he turns this wheel and he's expecting something to happen um <laughs> and then literally nothing happens and he's kind of annoyed cuz he's like oh i've you know i've been here years and i've been wanting to turn that wheel and nothing's happened um and that's when he announces he's quitting. And this is why Dan hadaya is kind of following him around his office while he's packing stuff up into his bag. Um, and he takes the lamp and he goes back out to you know the, the outer office and he gives the lamp to Dee Dee. Um, and she is impressed by his you know brash new attitude. And before he goes, he says, do you want to go out to dinner? Um, and she agrees. Um, and this is the first of the yeah, three okay. Meg Ryan characters. Dee uh, Dee is a, um, I guess one would say a New York secretary. I think that's what she's going for with the accent. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, she, when they go out to lunch, you know, uh, Dennis, should I say, later that evening, um, they kind of get into a philosophical debate (laughs) where he's asking, like, you know, who is he? Who is she? Um, And I kind of, I like, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, there's a reason why these two made three films together um, in the space of... Eight years? Um, and I think the answer is uh, the chemistry. And, like, instantly between the two of them when they're at this dinner, they just... I mean, straight away they've got chemistry, uh, which they need to have because, you know, th- the rest of the film is just going to be these two, really, um, in the different roles. Um, and, yeah, it's kind of amazing how, like, instantly on screen they have this mm-hmm. chemistry. Um, and obviously it's not going to work out between Dee, Dee and Joe, um, but I just like... I like how quickly... Like, you, you get the feeling between Hanks and Ryan that they, like they, they kind of know each other. I, and I actually
3: really
2: like mm-hmm. Dee Dee,
3: I think,
1: more than Same. the other two. <laughs> I didn't recognize
2: Ryan at first either, even though I knew that she was in this in multiple roles. I was like, who is that really cute secretary? And it took me a moment. Um, but I think it also really goes to show what a good actor she is because, God, Joe looks terrible in these first scenes. I'm sorry. He <laughs> looks just ill. He has that mullet. And i um, just like dripping with unhappiness until like this dinner sequence uh, where he sort of comes alive and it's it's fun to watch her um, perk up at his liveliness.
0: Yeah, she plays the mousy yeah. character really well. And, and, and mm-hmm. it's really fun to see her kind of play a character like this. So, Cause I mean, I, I don't think I had seen her do that before. It was always much more just kind of the rom-com, you know, female in the in the in the pair and i thought she always did fine there but i love seeing her actually playing a real character so it was fun and as far as tom hanks's mullet uh ron howard should have taken a cue uh, before putting that back on him for uh da vinci code yeah (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) the 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 mullet is is It's also kind of subtle, too, because, you know, it's the back of the head primarily is the problem. You don't always notice it when he's talking. Mm-hmm. And he looks sick in so many ways. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd forgotten about it till I watched it again recently. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. he's got weird, horrible hair. He's going to get a hair. Yeah, I later.
2: forgot, too. And I think that was part of like that created this big disconnect for me because I didn't remember like these like gray, like pallid sequences. And I didn't remember the mullet. And I was like. Well, I felt like I remembered this movie really well, and now I don't even know what I'm watching. <laughs> Who are you, Tom Hanks? Um,
3: I remember the beginning of this so much from the first time I saw it, because even as a kid, I could sense that my parents didn't like this movie. <laughs> but I was like, I'm into this, and the guy's got fake testicles on his desk. I'm I'm in, yeah. but whatever. And I'm like, we're not going to leave, because a couple times my mom walked out a movie she didn't like. <laughs> no, no. and we, we stuck it out yeah. and I was so glad cuz I was entertained that's funny I did think I hope he
1: doesn't have this mullet for the whole film I was like you know <laughs> I don't I was like I don't think I can give this a thumbs up if by the end he still has that mullet um but we will get to how he gets rid of the mullet very soon because the next day Lloyd Bridges shows up uh, and I don't care that he's calling himself Samuel Grainemore this is literally just Lloyd Bridges um being crazy and like you know any basically any Lloyd Bridges character from the 80s or 90s is pretty much this um i mean he's almost on the verge of parody
0: it's funny how much mm-hmm. uh, robert stack and lloyd bridges seem like their characters straight out of airplane also yep agreed <laughs> yep a funny note
2: yeah this movie keeps having like these great character actor types just like sort of walk on for a moment and then leave and never be seen again um, yeah, and that's special and weird. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we th- th- that's it. Like, Dan Hedaya is done. Yep. Now that he's quit his job, we're ne- gonna, never going to see Dan Hedaya ever again. <laughs> it's over and done with. Um, and the Lloyd Bridges is e- in exactly one scene, and this is the scene where he comes in and he says to Joe that he needs uh, a um and it's an essential mineral because he manufactures superconductors. <laughs> and As you apparently... Know. Yeah, but apparently there's only one place in the world where he can get a large amount of this particular thing, um, and it is uh, Waponi Wu. And uh, Waponi is the island, and Wu is the big volcano next to it. Um, And they believe that once every hundred years, they need to make a sacrifice. And that clock is ticking down pretty quick because they're at 99 years and 11 months and one week, I think it is, but at the start of the film. Uh, So yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, so he he says to him, he says, you know, um, you you don't have long to live. Um, If you jump into the volcano, then that will help this tribe and they'll see you as a hero. And, you know, I'll give you tons of money. And then he lays out a bunch of credit cards And he's like, here's a first class ticket, um, you know, out to LA, and you know, basically, he's like, you know, you can just do whatever you want until you have to jump into the volcano, Um, and he doesn't take much convincing because he's like,
2: okay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, okay, I'll do it. To that,
0: Lloyd Bridges' speech is pretty fantastic. That's I, I love it that. Is.
2: And he comes in. He's like so whimsical and like bashes in the wall with mm-hmm. his cane. And he I don't it's know. So he, he, you'd think he has like a whole candy factory in his coat yeah, or something. Like he brings, <laughs> <laughs> he brings the party. But um, like, and so all of it, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, Pony Woo, Volcanoes, boo totally buying all of it. I'm like, but wait, so his doctor breached HIPAA to tell you about his diagnosis and gave you his name <laughs> and address. <laughs>
1: Yes, but Helen, Um, he's an extremely wealthy person, so, I mean, you know.
2: Oh, no, that seems sadly plausible. (laughs) Okay, cool.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm sure somebody could level a fine on him for that and level a fine on the doctor, and it wouldn't be any, they would just pay it and that would (laughs) be the end of it, so. Yeah, it is a bit odd that this crazy person seems to know the diagnosis of Joe Banks, a complete stranger that he's never met, Um and, you know, like the previous night after dinner, Joe was with Dee, and he told her and she was like, you know, I'm out. Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't be in a relationship with someone who's going to be dead in a few months time. Uh, there is a nice bit of business when Meg Ryan leaves and then comes back in and then gets her bag. And then, you know, she's like, I forgot my bag. Okay. And then she leaves. Um, so that's the only person that he's told other than the doctor you know about this diagnosis so i guess you maybe maybe Dee, Dee knew someone and maybe she said something to somebody maybe that's how he found out
2: doesn't he say specifically that dr ellison told yeah. him well like yeah my he does yeah the doctor told <laughs> me about your little problem <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I mean,
1: I, I also like as well that the film doesn't spend, like, you know, these days I'm sure a film would spend, like, another ten minutes with him debating it and talking to people. And But they've made it clear, he's a friendless loser who's got nobody to talk to, and now he's told Dee, Dee and she's, like, left him. Basically, that's mm-hmm. it, He's literally, he's got nobody in his life and he's about to die, so he just accepts the proposition along with all the cash. Um, which, you know, and then... Um, you know exit Lloyd Bridges that's it (laughs) he's out of the film Um, and I guess later on the the sisters will kind of mention him and and kind of they'll say where is he Uh, which might be a kind of commentary on the fact that they probably only had Lloyd Bridges for like a day and they just Mm -hmm. did this one scene and then that was it I mean what I like I mean my favourite part of this film probably is the stuff with Marshall Um, you know uh, being, being you know he's got to go to New York so he can get the plane to go to L.A and so he he decides to um hire a limo i think he just calls like a limo service and he's like have you got a limo and they're like basically like yes that's all we've got because that's what we are we're just a service that hires out limos um and his driver is Ozzy Davis and so he like he's in this he's in the limo and you know he says to to Ozzy Davis he's like you know we need to get some clothes where would you buy clothes um and i like that Ozzy Davis <laughs> kind of like stops the limo and gets out and then gets into the back and he sits next to him and he's like, I can't I can't tell you where to buy clothes if I don't know who you are. And so they kind of get into a discussion about exactly who Joe Banks is. And, you know, from that, Ozzy Davis, he, he says, OK, um, you know, let's go to, you know, like this, you know, the, basically he takes him to like the Armani store. Um, and, and other high-end shops where they buy, um, you know, first of all, they start, because he's like, you know, I'm going to an island for a few days. And so he gives him kind of the story of what he's going to do. And then they go f- in, in a shopping montage um, between Aussie yeah. Davis and Tom Hanks, which is obviously like the, I don't know, it's, I mean, it's, it's a stroke of genius from, from uh, John Patrick Shanley because... Uh, with two of them together, there's like some really nice moments where they're like, he's buying a tuxedo and he's like, you know, would you buy this tuxedo? And he's like, well, you know, yes. And he's like, okay, well then I'll get you a tuxedo. And he's like, don't do that. And he's like, well, you know, you give me all this advice, so you know, have the tuxedo. Um, and then when they're standing there in their tuxedos, he says, I feel like I'm getting married, and Aussie Davis says, I feel like I'm giving you away. And it's just <laughs> such a it's such a great moment like between the two of them. I just love Ossie Davis in this. I mean, I feel some people might label him as a particular trope, mm-hmm. uh, which would be that of The Magical Negro, and he kind of is. You know, the film is meant to be like a fairy tale, so I can forgive it a little bit for kind of taking... I mean, that you know, there's like dozens of people they could have put in this role, but I think Ozzy Davis just does really well mm-hmm. um, kind of giving him advice uh, for the various things that he buys. In particular, he goes to um, a, a trunk salesman who is um, going to sell him basically the the greatest trunk that in the history of luggage. And I like when he's kind of like showing it off. It's like in this special like kind of cabinet. And he opens oh, it Oh, the up way it reveals him... itself
3: is amazing.
2: It's like a yeah. church. Huh? It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and and when he sees it, you know, he's obviously sold and he goes, I'll take four. Um, and at first <laughs> I was like, okay, he's going to have four gigantic trunks like for all of his, his shopping that he's been buying today. Um, I didn't realize that this is an extremely important plot point mm-hmm. um, that will come back later on in the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I really kind of like this, just the whole kind of sequence of him like buying all the different things. Then he goes to a shop and he gets like a, a Swiss Army knife and a you know a, a kind of a radio and an umbrella and like a golf club, like a mini golf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, like, uh, but it, it's it's kind of it's really weird because it feels like it's calling back to Big where basically it was the same thing of like (laughs) Mm -hmm. a kid getting whatever he wanted. And it's kind of the same thing here. In fact, at this point, I've reached the premise that the most successful Tom Hanks films are films where Tom Hanks plays someone who hasn't really got a much and then he just gets whatever he wants. Um, (laughs) and he does that in big, he gets whatever he wants in big. Um, Andy will tell you nothing in common. He has nothing in common with his dad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> his dad is gonna looks like he's gonna have his feet amputated. His dad doesn't have his feet amputated, and then he gets on well with his dad and his mom again. You know, he gets <laughs> and he gets the promotion, even though he kind of like throws the pitch. You know, uh, for the airline, he get he gets what he wants, and that's that's this. I would say actually, um uh, is it whenever we say goodbye, that what I don't time. know that he gets every what he wants at the end. Right. Yeah, every time we say goodbye, yeah, I, I don't know that he gets what he wants at the end of that because he's not with the girl at the end. But basically, every Tom Hanks film. Splash, he gets to live with a mermaid at the end. You know, like, he's just, he's getting everything. Um, and here, he's doing what any kid with a bunch of credit cards would do, and just buy whatever the hell he likes. Um, and we finish with him deciding not to go back to his his apartment um, that Lloyd Bridge was for some reason smashing up to t- show him, I guess, to encourage him to take the offer. Um, and he decides to, he, he says to Marshall, what is the fanciest hotel? And he says, and he goes, okay, let's go to that hotel. So he like books himself a room in the fanciest hotel. Um, and then, uh, you know, in a kind of melancholy moment, he says to Marshall, you know, we have like dinner with me, <laughs> you know, just come and come and have some dinner. You know, they spent the day together and he says, I've got a wife and kids to get back to <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like it kind of breaks the illusion, you know, a little bit. Cause he, like, he's like, I actually do have people that I need to spend time with, you know. Effectively, uh, you were paying for my time, um, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, it seemed magical, but
3: it wasn't.
2: Oh, well, uh, then you have him just sitting, like, very lonely in this extremely plush restaurant and then having a lonely night alone in his massive hotel room.
3: <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't um, seem as unhappy can. as before, though. There's mm-hmm. more color.
2: yeah. Well, he went to Hammacher Schlemmer first, so he's fine.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: he did get his... Because I was thinking to
1: myself, like I said earlier in the film, I was like, I cannot live with this film if I've got to see that mullet for the whole film. And somebody read my mind because they cut his mullet off. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, they...
2: He, was they, it... Was that Carol yeah, Kane?
1: Yes. Yeah. Like,
2: but credited as somebody else.
1: <laughs> credited <laughs> like, as Lisa LeBlanc. Huh. Right.
2: <laughs> oh, naturally.
1: <laughs> for some reason uh oldest right. older sister of matt leblanc maybe i don't know
2: yeah. um, <laughs> but no it's a good haircut no and yeah he yeah. has he has his like mini golf he has his uh what like bar bartender cocktail yeah. set inside a violin case as we all do <laughs> it's been a good day
1: yeah um and so he he
3: takes his um his luggage uh goes to the airport flies well, to los angeles but before before the airport i just want to point out because You mentioned the bad box office before, but I was looking at box office and realized uh, it amuses me that this was in theaters at the same time as Driving Miss Daisy and Pretty Woman. Yeah. Uh (laughs) We're getting him driving around with Ossie Davis (laughs) and doing the montage. And then, yeah, shopping shopping shopping.
2: sprees.
1: Yeah. There was something in the air. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you
3: know. like
2: It was 1990. (laughs) That's what you do. It's the end of
3: the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. People are still drivers and everyone's got needs stuff.
2: You know the, the stock
1: market crashed two years earlier or a year earlier. People were recovering from that. They just wanted to go out and escape um, by watching people go shopping. Uh, <laughs> and so he he arrives in Los Angeles. He is met by Angelica, which is the second uh, Meg Ryan character. Uh, who is a flibbity gibbet, apparently. <laughs> that is the designation she gives herself.
2: So she says. Yeah,
1: she's a self-confessed flibbity gibbet. Um, <laughs> and she basically is working for, um, she's basically Grainamore. She's Ali, Ali, Angelica Granamore. So she is the daughter of Lloyd, Lloyd Bridges. Um, and she basically shows him around LA a little bit. Uh, they go up to the Hollywood Hills. Um, uh, what I like as well is when they leave the airport, they're in her, um, they're in her convertible, um, and behind is a taxi with all of the trunks, like mm-hmm. kind of strapped to it, <laughs> following them behind. Because obviously, none of those trunks would fit in the boot of that convertible. It's just there's just no space. There's not even space for like a tiny little bag in there, let alone four gigantic trunks. Um, and when they go up to the holiday, the Hollywood Hills. Um he is kind of impressed. Uh he says it's like looking down on the stars and it is a nice, you know, it is a nice sight. Um and this is where um things kind of get a bit serious and you know, uh, Angelica confesses that she has thought about killing herself because uh, she doesn't really like, you know, her life. And you know, this is where Joe, who obviously at this point still thinks he's going to be dead in a few months, <laughs> Uh, he kind of talks her around and kind of reassures her that, you know, it, things could be worse and, you know, she should kind of, you know, enjoy her life as it is. Um, and, you know, I I thought I, I mean, this is obviously kind of like the first the first stage of his, you know, uh, Joe's conversion in the film is him spending a bunch of money. That's the mm-hmm. first the first most mm-hmm. important part, because we were in the 80s, I'm sure, when this film was filmed. So that makes sense. Um, and then, you know, the second stage is him kind of, um, I mean, giving more of a perspective on life and giving advice to Angelica and kind of, um, you know, just advising her that basically things could be worse, as in she could have a brain cloud, um, and she doesn't. So, you know, uh, and I thought it was a nice, you know, it basically allows Meg Ryan to play a completely different character to Dee, Dee Um, you know, and... Yeah, you know, I, I really liked kind of Angelica. The thing I didn't like about Angelica, and I'm sure Andy already knows what I'm going to say, is the constant smoking. I mean, I know it's, it's just gets on my nerves. When the, this, like, this is the thing to distinguish the two characters is her constantly smoking. Stop doing that, Phil. Well,
0: I don't like it. Yeah. Well, especially because, I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of other difference between the two so far. I mean, Angelica yeah. is mm-hmm. very much another character that Meg Ryan is bringing to the table, so...
3: I think it's necessary in a way, because um, this is also part of why she needs to play all three parts is she's a different version of the same person, but she has different problems, and those problems are relative. And that smoking is sort of like that mortality poking in, if, if depending on how you look at it. Like, of course she's going to smoke. She's works in yeah. doing stuff she doesn't like, but is going to keep doing it because that's who she is. She can't do anything she's better. She's a
2: painter and a poet right, and like a n- Dungeness crab eating vapid LA <laughs> woman. Like it all suits it.
3: You got to smoke in uh, LA. The air is out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> of course I don't. But. <laughs> I
1: am just not a fan of people smoking on screen and oh that God. being their only character trait. Um, I think she's got more than that though. Well, yeah, I think she does. But you know. Did you hear
2: her poem twice? Yeah, I d-
1: <laughs> yeah. I should also say as well. When they're in the restaurant, there was this guy who comes along with a gigantic, like six foot pepper mill, which is just—I don't know if that's meant to be a commentary on something, but I'm like it's a commentary. Of... It's, well, yeah, yeah but that felt
0: very LA. <laughs> I
1: was just gonna say America, <laughs> like yeah, having an incongruously large pepper mill <laughs> that serves no real purpose um, <laughs> other than being like bigger than most of the waiters. I, I mean, I was like okay yeah so they made for breakfast the next day and angelica is going to be taking him to the boat uh for 10 o'clock um and you know they're gonna they're gonna set sail for the island and so when we get to the docks we find out that uh the person who is going to be the captain of the boat is the half sister of angelica and uh, that is patricia also played by meg ryan um uh, the most Meg is...
0: ryan of the Meg Ryans.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, yeah, because Dee Dee, uh, same, same here, Helen. I didn't recognize that that was Meg Ryan for like a, a few minutes. And then I was like, oh, that's Meg, that's Meg Ryan. I was like, I'm sure she's meant to be playing more than just two parts. And I was like, ah, of course, Meg Ryan. Um, and then the second time, obviously, you know, she's, again, she is playing a character. She is like, you know.
2: Yeah, there's an affectation there. Yeah.
1: Whereas once we get to Patricia, it's just Meg Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one that we know and love, I think. Um, love! Yeah. Exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's a bit of dialogue between the two sisters where they ask each other where their father is. And they always they say that the other one is the one who knows where he is, but they, they both think they're lying. Um, which I'm guessing is a bit of a commentary on the fact that Lloyd Bridges is nowhere to be seen. Because you would have thought <laughs> that Lloyd Bridges would have at least been there to make sure that Joe gets on the boat or something. Uh, but he's trusting that to his daughters to um sort that out
2: um and it's just bad dad rich dad stuff yeah like
1: yeah and and the the funniest thing is that um angelica she keeps what does she keep calling him she's not calling him joe she's calling him yeah felix
2: (laughs) i don't know yeah patricia keeps calling him felix Felix.
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah, and he gets he kind of gets mad and he's like my name is joe or joseph and then she reluctantly like calls him joe um but I don't know. I mean, like she's doing she says she's doing it because nobody tells her what to do. But it's like it's
2: such a weird kind of power move to just call someone by the wrong name. But, you know, it's a weird enough moment that she monologues about it as he's going to bed later. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> we it's just like, I know that was really weird. Let me just talk about that for some minutes at a time. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, for the majority of the
1: rest of this film, we are going to be on this boat. Um, Or should I say this boat is going to be in a water tank somewhere in a studio Mm -hmm. while people throw water uh, from the sides uh, into the faces of our main characters. Um, Never once was I convinced that this boat was ever at sea because it really it really felt like it was in a studio. But maybe that's just because, you know, there are, you know, these days they would at least shoot some of it practically. Um, But yeah, I Um, I,
0: I buy this a lot more than the the boat in indiana jones and the last crusade at the start like this one felt uh, <laughs> like they pulled it off better than that one
2: it felt boaty to me i mean i'm a landlubber so what <laughs> do i know but seemed boatish
1: and uh, patricia sets up uh, a punchline for us uh, she does a very long setup talking about this tribe and how they love orange soda Mm-hmm. um we, once we arrive at the island this is how we will identify the tribe uh, by the fact that they look like a tribe but also there's a lot of orange soda going around <laughs> um yeah like tall boys of orange soda <laughs> like huge cans like uh, you know I, I, yeah i mean it, it, here it just feels like she's just kind of telling a story but uh, you know uh john patrick Shanley is not one to you know, not load a bunch of Chekhov's guns as he's going along here. Well and, and the other
3: thing we learn about them from her is that there's some weird mix of Romans and Jews and the local natives from
1: yeah, way and back. And like Celts yeah. too? Like
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which makes Havanagilla make yeah. sense later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Um I haven't made, I haven't mentioned the music in this but yeah, like the opening song was the you know, the sixteen tons. Uh we had a very kind of melancholic blue moon while he was mm. uh, alone in his hotel room
2: it's like very not subtle the music cues how they underscore (laughs) everything that's happening and i'm not mad at it because it's not a subtle movie it sort of fits but if i don't remark on the lack of subtlety i'll feel like (laughs) (laughs) i'll feel like a point was
1: missed uh yeah we get ourselves after we've learned about the tribe from patricia a fishing montage um during which uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the, the crew and Patricia helping Joe do some fishing, a lot of casting of lines. Um And then for no reason at all, a puppet hammerhead shark shows up at the very end of this montage, mm-hmm. <laughs> scaring everyone. Um, <laughs> and I was like, OK, that's a choice um but it just seemed like a like the montage itself seemed fairly realistic and that people seemed to be mm-hmm. you know really showing him how to fish and they're getting the fish out and you know like it's just uh, passing general, time yeah yeah just you know what you would do yeah. on a boat um and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden now you know, <laughs> this, this hammerhead shark appears and they all kind of jump back and run and i was like I, don't, I mean, I know you've got to finish the montage somehow, but...
2: I mean, it's called comedy, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, So, I <laughs> don't know if
3: you've...
2: I know, I found the montage weird because there was a lot of, like, knowing glances between Joe and everybody on the yacht. Like, he kept looking... Like, Amanda Plummer kept looking at him, and she was like, <laughs> I hadn't seen her at all before. And I was like, oh my God, that's Amanda Plummer. And now he's... And now Joe's falling in love with her? Like, those are the kinds of glances that I don't know... Well, and then okay no no now he's making knowing glances at Meg Ryan again. Yeah.
0: The, the Amanda Plummer glances those. Those are specifically about his ineptitude about fishing, right? Like he was doing okay. the little cats what yeah. is called cat's cradle thing when you Yeah. Oh, yeah, with, with the, the fishing, fishing line, line stuff, so. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so she, yeah, she I guess is like the captain. first mate or something yeah. captain, yeah. Uh,
1: obviously, Amanda Plummer, uh, daughter of Christopher
2: Yep. I want to say. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and obviously mm-hmm. Christopher Plummer was in uh, oh, what was the film that he was in with Tom Hanks? Dragnet. Of course. How could I forget Dragnet? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, of
2: course. Back.
1: Christopher Plummer is in Dragnet. So he is n- not only has he now Tom Hanks been directed by brother and sister within Gary Marshall and uh, Penny Marshall. Uh, but also now he's acted with two members of the Plummer family. So he is. There you go. Yeah, he is. he's racking it up. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, like the the montage, I mean, yeah, the knowing glances between everyone was kind of like, I was like, okay, you know, everyone loves Tom Hanks. A lot
2: of, a lot of looking. Yeah,
1: we get it. Um, And then, of course, because the worst things happen at sea, um, they hit a storm. Uh, uh, What I found was odd was the fact that Joe was like, what's a typhoon? I mean, (laughs) I mean, I'm no sailor, but. I know what a typhoon is. Google it, Joe. <laughs> he, he wanted a
3: scientific explanation. It was a storm it. thing. But. Yeah, I guess.
2: Okay, may I ask, was I the only one who thought this was initially a dream sequence because Patricia had talked about the weird dreams that sleeping on a boat will give you, and because it started out so eerie and or like, was that just me? How do you, how do you know? I kept it thinking, isn't a dream like, uh, I guess that's true. <laughs>
1: Uh, somebody punched me but yeah I mean yeah it is odd that she talks a lot about like the dreams and then they go to sleep and then they have the storm um right. Yeah. But at the same time, I th- I think the storm feels kind of real in terms of what's going on. So
2: Oh once it yeah. properly hits, it does. <laughs> but it, like in that calm before the storm where it's just like this odd, like mauve color and very quiet. And she even remarks on how it feels dead. I'm like, Yeah, it does. Almost like a dream Patricia <laughs> no more if that is your real name. Um and then no, it's not I mean, spoiler alert, not a dream, at least not in any defined way within right. the film.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the stagehands start throwing water at our cast.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. Uh, we get, I think, a couple of model shots by the looks of it of a boat in some water, um, and then you know the, the you know the boat uh, gets capsized. Uh, everyone is, I mean, a Patricia is first of all knocked off by uh, one of the the arms. Um,
2: well they kiss first oh yes they have this like beautiful mid typhoon kiss (laughs) and
0: you you have to you have to point out in that shot and only in that shot all of the like the wheels whatever the pulley things are on all the ropes and stuff they the production design actually redesigned all of the round objects to look like little hearts so in the shot when they're kissing you see all the little hearts okay
2: i gotta look that up because That's darling and annoying uh, at the same time. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, everything annoying. turns to hearts, and then she gets hit
1: very hard <laughs> by—I mean, very hard uh, by mm-hmm. the the sail arm because she's knocked off the ship. Um, Joe goes in to rescue her because, of course, you know that's that's what heroes do. Um, mm-hmm. And he, like, the, as the as the yacht is kind of sinking, uh, having been hit by lightning strikes. All of the steamer trunks float to the top, and Joe, whilst Mm -hmm. in the middle of the storm, um, puts them together and creates a raft. Um, Something obviously that would come in handy. I don't know. A decade Mm -hmm. later, Um, and so (laughs) he he puts Patricia onto the raft. And when I say she was hit hard, she is out for days.
2: Days. Days. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, she's brain dead, bro. (laughs) Just push her off. No, keep her for food. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, well, like, <laughs> just went just dark.
2: <laughs> I mean,
1: like John Patrick Shanley did write "Alive," the film. I was still
2: not sure it wasn't a dream. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, I did. It got dreamy again for me when the lightning struck the yacht because the lightning was it's the lightning. exact pattern as, it's, it's it's the low like the lightning logo from the place he worked Which is his wall, and,
0: yeah, I love all that over it's the place. yeah. When it hits the
3: boat, it's, it's a, even technically upside down. In order to match those other ones. It's bigger at the bottom. Yeah.
2: Right, right. Uh, And I'm like, okay. So, like, it's more thematic stuff that's in here that doesn't have any, like, outright explanation. But for a second again, I was like, okay, is it a dream? Okay, no, probably not. (laughs) Uh, He
1: starts giving water to Patricia to keep her alive. Little tiny bits of water. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The umbrella that he picked up earlier is useful to shade her from the sun. Uh, the radio the whole shopping
2: montage keeps them alive. Yep, yeah,
1: yeah yep. this is it. Yeah, the the radio he got earlier, he's able to turn on, and Tom Hanks does some trademark Tom Hanks '80s dancing around <laughs> on the raft <laughs> while she's unconscious. If she woke up in that moment, she might think, "What's going on here?" Um, but yeah, and then he play. He tries to play some uh, some putting with his mini golf set, but the wind keeps bringing the green up, so he can't. <laughs> he can't quite. Get that to work. He, everything else works fine. It's everything wonderful. else he's having fun with. Yeah, and he gradually becomes kind of more and more haggard in the sun. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, yeah. while obviously... And a
2: volleyball floats up. He draws a face <laughs> on it and starts talking to it. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah, so he's he, he's just waiting for Patricia to basically wake up. And, you know, he, he sits there playing the ukulele. Tom does some singing for us. Love that song. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. an early influence on Chet Hayes, I think. Um, and so... <laughs> so uh eventually she does wake up once he's he goes to sleep and then well, she kind of and before well, he go goes to it, sleep Andy, we got to
0: yeah. talk about the moon and like yeah, that moment because yeah. that's like oh his, my god his, you know big moment here all alone and praying to the moon or whatever and it's just like such i don't know that is a moon like when mm-hmm. we're talking about a moon yeah. that's a moon
2: you ever been moonstruck yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> you have now
1: yeah the moon is gigantic And the the next time this would happen would be during uh, Bruce Almighty when the moon also got gigantic, Um, Mm. and so he yeah he kind of yells to the sky he he he's you know they'd had a conversation earlier about whether or not they believed in God and obviously Patricia uh, being the rebellious daughter that she is said she believed in herself. and so now he kind of prays to God that she will come awake. He starts kind of getting a bit uh, delirious when the kind of constellations turn into like the, the constellations as mm-hmm. people draw them. And then they turn back into the stars. Uh, and when he wakes up, Patricia has woken up um, and they are still drifting. Um, but finally, an hour and 20 minutes into this film, <laughs> we arrive at the island <laughs> with the volcano and. Um, and they are greeted by the tribe who uh, are drinkin', all drinking orange soda. Tons of orange soda. Uh, there's a guy who's got, like, a chest plate made out of cans of orange soda. Uh, like, everyone Nathan loves orange Lane soda.
0: is in there.
2: Yes. It's Nathan yeah. Lane. Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and we we have the chief of the Waponies, which is played by Abe Vigoda. <laughs> I mean... Abe Vigoda and orange soda.
2: That's all you need. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, I, I mean, yeah, it. I, I mean, the film is obviously meant to be a comedy, um, but mm-hmm. the idea that a guy is about to die in four months and so he's going to commit suicide in a volcano, I've not found to be particularly humorous. Um, but, yeah, so this is where things enter into absurdity. Um, mm-hmm. As Joe and Patricia are taken on land, they're greeted by the chief uh, in particular, there's a very long sequence where a fully naked Tom Hanks is hosed down by these uh, villagers. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't asking for it, but okay, you know, I'll take myself some, <laughs> some naked Tom Hanks. Like, I mean, you know, it's. I mean, it's odd that it's at this point in the film, but okay. Uh, yeah, so you know, him and Patricia. Then you know, the the, the trunks obviously keep everything dry uh, because they they get dressed up and everything. Um, and the chief he's got his tux. Yes, the right. chief the chief the chief looks for a volunteer from his tribe. Uh you know, he says to, he says to everyone, you know, is there a volunteer basically? And then everyone's kind of like, nope, <laughs> nope. Um and then Joe volunteers himself. Um and then they kind of they have like a procession and they're going to go up to the volcano. Um, and this is the point at which Patricia, I think kind of realizes how insane this entire thing is that he's going to just jump into a volcano for this tribe that he's never met until the day before now. And, you know, like, um, I mean, I think they were meant to get to the Island earlier. So he kind of at least have a few days on there, but they yeah. basically arrived at the point where he's got to jump into the volcano. So he doesn't get a chance to, uh, use everything else that was in his trunk. Um, and so the the whole of the village kind of take him up to the volcano, uh, which has become active and is starting to make some noises. So maybe there's something in this whole hundred year sacrifice thing. Um, and I like that they keep, obviously the name of the volcano is uh, the Wu. So the they keep Wu. saying that yeah. the big <laughs> Wu. Yeah. So they keep talking about how the big Wu was spoken and the big Wu wants sacrifice. <laughs> they keep saying it over and over again. And it's like, yeah, okay. That's a silly name for a volcano now as they get closer to the top of the volcano uh patricia and joe both uh, kind of admit that they love each other uh you know she says that she loves him and he can't throw himself into a volcano and he's like he loves her um you know but you know he's going to be dead in a few months so you know this is what he's got to do to be a hero um and That's another so, great
0: speech you have to you have to <laughs> yeah applaud the writing there for the way that that was put together mm-hmm.
3: Yeah,
1: I mean, I'd say, you know, obviously uh, the whole premise of this film is very odd and some moments in it are a little bit strange. Um, But at least like when they when they do have to have like speeches and stuff, you know, you can tell that the writer, you know, won some awards for writing Mm -hmm. because they're pretty good. Um, But yeah. And, you know, especially I love the opportunity that, you know, because the volcano is active, it gives Tom Hanks the chance to yell at the top of his voice. For a legitimate reason. And not just because he likes doing that in films, apparently. Um, And so they confess their love. And Angelica is like, not Angelica, Patricia, sorry, is like, will you marry us to the chief? And the chief is like, okay. And then he just basically, (laughs) the marriage ceremony does not last very long. He's like, you know, you love each other, you're married. There you go. That's it. It's over. Um, And so they are now married. At this point, this is where Patricia says, you know, like, because he's like, Joe is about to kind of jump in the volcano and she's like right next to him. She's like, we're going to do this together. Like, you know, she doesn't want to live without him on earth. And so, you know, she's going to jump into the volcano with him. um, And he tries to tell her not to do that. But, you know, she's a headstrong young lady and she's not going to have some man tell her what to do. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Felix. Yeah. And so, um, you know, to show that she's a headstrong young woman, she's about to jump into a volcano with a man that she has known for roughly three weeks i think and for the majority of that she was unconscious floating around on a raft.
0: so (laughs) they
2: had like two conversations yeah (laughs)
0: they
2: had they fought a shark (laughs) puppet together
0: great kiss though so we'll give them that they did it was good it was really good i mean it's got to be a really good kiss they should make some more movies together
1: (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to spoil things helen but they might do that (gasps)
2: Oh my god. Yeah. Uh
1: so we then get them Decide. you know, they jump into the extremely unconvincing blue screen. Um and then the <laughs> model volcano shoots them out. <laughs> and <laughs> with no explanation, they they end up in a swimming pool somewhere, uh treading water, as the volcano and the island starts to sink. Um
2: and I I was, I was upset at how nonchalant everyone was at Amanda Plummer's character's untimely death until I saw how nonchalant they entire were at the, the death of that entire tribe <laughs> and nation, never to be seen again. Turns out they weren't superstitious. They were right. It's yeah. So <laughs> you dawdled a little mm-hmm. too long, Joe.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So the volcano <laughs> spits them out. I, I mean, I wasn't expecting that. This is the first time I've seen this film today. Uh, I, I kind of knew that Tom Hanks would not die at the end of this film because there are very <laughs> mm-hmm. few films where Tom Hanks dies. Um, so I was like, yeah. you know, Tom Hanks has survived the entire of the 80s. Um, he even survived his very first film where his character was meant to die, but he was too nice and they d- d- they decided not to kill him off. So Aww. that's how little Tom Hanks dies. Even in an 80s slasher film, he gets to live. Uh-huh. So... The volcano spits them out. I'm like, what on earth is going on? The volcano yeah. sinks. The entire. It's not
2: like he has a mullet still. No. Like, I don't- <laughs> yeah.
1: The entire the entire tribe is killed. Uh, a civilization is possibly lost. Um, You know. And all that booberoo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The
0: um, Grainamore and- family business is going down too. They just got to get yeah. a submarine. Well. Yes. Yeah, True. Yeah, well, that's it. And it's, un- it's under water now. It's in one yeah. place. They don't need to sacrifice
1: anyone now. Uh, yeah. So I mean, uh, yeah, like the end. Like the special effects were not fantastic. <laughs> I don't know how everyone else feels about the volcano special effects. Like, I know it's 1990, but s- still, it looked so intensely fake. <laughs> it was kind of weird when they were spat out. I was like, well, at least we didn't have to see them. You know, like the 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 One Ring slowly melt into the volcano as they died. Like. You know, they just got instantly spat out. Uh, I think yeah, it's I don't easy know. I mean, to, I,
0: maybe I find it easy to forgive because I mean, again, it's so fairy yeah. tale. Everything in this. I mean, yeah. when we're looking at the date, kind of the end of the date in New York City. I mean, the wide shot of the city has all the buildings like different yeah. colors, like it's a very uh, designed. Oh, it looks
2: like a theater theater backdrop. Right, yeah, exactly.
0: So I, you know, the vol- the fact that the volcano always looks a little fake. And the, especially when they shoot out, I it's never bugged me.
2: It's, it sort of adds to the enjoyment of the moment for me. I think well, I'm yeah. not, not mad at it, <laughs> but it's like a happy man.
0: I, I
3: think if it had looked too <laughs> real, them being blown out of it would have been too silly.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I guess, I guess that's one way, but to me, a first time viewer, right. I was like, mm-hmm. uh, this looks ridiculous. Um, but as they, as they tread water in this pool in, in some backlot of Warners, um, they start to have a conversation uh, where she, basically she's like, "What are you dying of again?" And Tom Hanks is like, "Brain cloud," and she's like, uh, "That doesn't sound <laughs> real." And, and then he's and then when he reveals, "Oh yeah, I you know, I I went to Doctor Ellison," and she's like, uh, "Doctor Ellison has literally one patient, and that is my father." Right. Um, so did you get a second opinion? And, Of course. The payoff to that wonderful punchline, is he like, No, I didn't get a second opinion. <laughs> um <laughs> of course, I guess maybe Dr. Ellison knew he wouldn't get a second opinion due to his hypochondria. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so she basically says to him, Look, dum dum, you were set up by my father who convinced you that you were dying, so you would throw yourself into a volcano so that he could get all the resources from this island, which is now sunk. Um so, you know, you you definitely are not dying. Um But, you know, it forced him to quit his job um, and, you know, enjoy his life. So I guess that's a positive. Um, (laughs) And the, of course, with the island now sunk, uh, the indestructible trunks um, show up once more and uh, they get onto them again and they can start floating around in the sea. Uh, They say, you know, there's no land anywhere. Um, But, you know, they, they are optimistic that they will be rescued and that everything will be okay um and th- that's where the movie ends it mm-hmm. says and they live happily ever after and then the end and, and the original I mean, st- end of
0: the script was uh, was actually uh uh grainemore showing up with ellison on a boat and and i can't remember how it played out i know i read the script ages ago <laughs> i think that they save them and then uh, gosh i can't remember exactly but there's like a fight on the boat, and. I don't know it was a whole other element to the story where you find out you know that i think they just wrote all of that out into Patricia's little chat there yeah yeah but um it would have been a lot more to have at the end of all of this yeah i
2: think having them float off into uncertainty in the middle of the south pacific with no land around and then having the um just the text and they lived happily ever after is just a beautiful and sort of perfect ending to mm-hmm. a very yeah. strange and also beautiful and maybe perfect movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just not to say I wouldn't change things about it because I would, but I think I would make it not perfect if I changed it. I I can't even really explain what I mean. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, I mean, obviously as they float away, they are, they are once more under the gigantic moon. Um, they are once more <laughs> moonstruck. Um, and yeah, so, I mean... Uh, as a first-time viewer, I was like, uh, "Okay, that was an ending. I guess <laughs> arguably I mean, <laughs> yeah. a movie that, <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, kind of like revealing that it was all a setup. It, it kind of it does pay off the fact that if you're watching it, you're like, brain cloud. Like, you know, there are things that don't seem correct, and then by the end, it's like, oh,
2: yeah. that was deliberate, the HIPAA thing. You know, no problem. He's <laughs> just unethical yeah, yeah. in no, other ways." Right. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's he's just
1: basically trying to make someone suicidal so that a guy can get a yeah, bunch of resources. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, it's not like that happens in real life. It's not like billionaires are going out there stripping resources from the planet for their own gain. I think oh. I mean, oh, no. space. What, what a fanciful <laughs> notion. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I feel that we should get to the judgments. Uh, obviously, on this podcast, we say,
3: T-Hanks or no t hanks oh t hanks totally i i it it has flaws particularly of its time like the casting of the black man as a driver and the tribe is a little stereotypey and stuff they try to get around it but it, it's it's got problems mm-hmm. but otherwise i love it and i love the three women and the three versions of it i, I wrote about this in my blog when i did bad movies It was the first one people suggested. I'm like, it's not a bad movie, but I'm going to watch it anyway. So I ended my month with three days of this movie (laughs) and had a great time. Because it's... We already mentioned the lightning being all over the Mm -hmm. place, like on his wall and everywhere else. Mm -hmm. But also, like, the volcano is on his lamp Mm -hmm. in his office. And when he and Didi go to dinner, the side of the restaurant has the volcano Mm -hmm. on it. And so it keeps giving us visual signs of what's coming. There's a fortune sign and neon and stuff like that. And one of my favorites which i noticed recently when i rewatched it and then i'm like oh apparently i noticed that when i wrote my blog i found it a line about it i didn't realize i'd found it before the monster at the dance on waponi woo had its face was the factory what it's got the two stack like smokestacks oh sticking God. up and it's the same because the factory is oh, essentially sure. a face yeah. that's eating all the people as they go mm. in and so it's it's wonderful visuals oh, no. that are a fairy tale kind of thing and it, yeah. it works for me. Yeah. One more thing is I love him in front of the moon and him standing there. Because mm-hmm. I wrote about that in relation to Groundhog Day. And people say, like, when he looks up after the old man dies, it's seeing God. And I'm like, it's not necessarily God, but it is a religious moment.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's a moment where Joe has to see how small he is in order to understand that he's not. Yeah. And I love
2: it. Yeah. Um. I have, um, like, a hefty handful of problems with this movie, and I still gotta say T. Hanks. Um, I think it's <laughs> incredible for a lot of reasons, uh, like Robert just mentioned. Um, I think, and I think it has a lot of, like, tonal mishmash in ways that don't really work cinematically, um, but it's those moments where, like, the drama sort of wrenches itself out of what's ostensibly a comedy that work the best for me sometimes. Like when he leaves Ellison's office and you have that like large sort of vignette where he's just standing there and this woman walking her dog comes up and he pets the dog and eventually just, you're still in this long shot and he hugs the woman and that sort of changes everything. Um, And then the moon moment, which I'll probably start crying if I, if I talk about it, but where he is just standing on the uh, raft, uh, luggage rafts Um, and says like, God, whose name I do not know. Thank you for my life. I forgot how big. Um, like, I think that as a moment, e- even out of any of the context of this film is is beautiful, and I would say thank you for it. But within the context, it means even more. And it being Tom Hanks, like America's sweetheart of all time, like, uh, I know why it speaks to so many people. I said it was my ex-husband's favorite movie, and I get why. Like, um, I just think it, It has a lot to say philosophically, and it says it in really clunky ways that I also find charming. So thanks, T. Hanks.
0: Yeah, I I think it's very difficult and rare for filmmakers to say, I'm going to make a fairy tale. Like, that's not a big genre that people are making films in. I mean, and you can tell why, because a fairy tale does do certain things in ways that feel kind of specific for the fairy tale itself and when you do a fairy tale like this it it comes across as as odd and kind of off-putting i think for a lot of people because you're expecting kind of a sense of reality in a story and when it breaks all of the reality i think it can be very hard to uh to kind of get past in in a film but i think john patrick shanley i mean yeah he kind of just went went for the fences with this and and did a lot of really big and crazy things and was doing something and i think that's something really exciting in film when you see a filmmaker actually doing something more unique than so many other storytellers out there in film who just are just kind of delivering the expected and that's what i love so much about this movie is it just feels unexpected fresh original you know, I just love the, the story. I love the themes. Uh, it's it's a big T. Mm-hmm. Hanks for me.
1: Uh, I mean, I'll say T. Hanks as well, although I don't, I don't I'm not sure any time in the future I'll rewatch the film. Uh, but, you know, if people ask me about it, I would say, yeah, OK, you know, it's a little bit odd. Uh, but, you know, it's certainly worth a watch. <laughs> I mean, you know, the opening does recall Brazil, which mm-hmm. is a film that I love. And and so you know, and then you know later on the you know the two Meg Ryan's that we get once they're in LA and then on the boat, you know again I think you know she does some really good work there in terms of kind of uh, giving us these two very kind of different characters. Um, You know, there's a reason why she was America's sweetheart for a while, Um, until she what cheated on her husband with Russell Crowe. Is that how things fell apart? I can't remember. Oh, I thought she just Um, got
2: plastic surgery. I don't even know. I call myself a chick flick expert. Mm.
1: Things kind of went off the rails, but yeah, you know, at this point, this is kind of—I mean, you know, uh, Harry Met Sally was Mm -hmm. that year before this, if I'm remembering Mm -hmm. correctly, '89. Yeah, so you know, she's at the peak here, and you know, this will go on for at least the next decade. Uh, Same with Tom. You know, obviously, this wasn't a hit, and his next film wasn't a hit, um, and he literally took a year off because he was like, "What on earth am I (laughs) doing as an actor?"
0: (laughs) Well, even in the production of this, because I remember John Patrick Shanley saying Tom Hanks came to him or he he came to Tom Hanks because Tom Hanks just seemed off. And in when he was doing a scene and, and he talked to him about it and he, and it, it was clear to Tom at that point that he was just like, I'm just I can't figure out what I'm doing right now. So
1: I mean, this is like this is the 14th film that I'm talking about, about Tom Hanks. And that's from 1980 to, to 90. 1990. He didn't he didn't even make any films from 1981 to 1984 so from 1984 to 1990 he had done like 12 films or something he was he was doing a lot of films so i can understand why he was a little bit burnt out um but yeah i mean you know like this is a film that is unlike any other film uh and like you say obviously you know the effects could be better towards the end but they kind of work in the whole uh fairy tale aspect you know it feels like tom at the end I mean, you know, he's got Meg Ryan and he's floating on a raft and he lives happily ever after. As I said, Tom Hanks gets what he wants. And, you know, I'm sure he's going to keep those credit cards mm-hmm. as well. Um, so he's got the money and he's got the girl. Uh and all he needs to do is get back to I don't know, New York, I guess, LA. I'm not sure where they're floating towards um at the end there. But yeah, it, it's like it, it is a I mean, it deliberately sets itself up as a fairy tale and it does kind of, you know, work within that genre. Uh, But I think for a lot of viewers, and this is probably why it didn't make the money back in 1990, it is an odd choice uh, in terms of a a film. And, you know, even though obviously the gigantic moon becomes part of the the film, on the poster, if I was walking past it in the cinema, I'd be like, I don't know what this is. What is this trying to tell me about Joe versus the volcano? Like... (laughs) Uh, I don't know if there was a different title that might have sold the film better, but it just, it feels, that, I mean, obviously it is him versus Volcano, but it I don't know, it's, it's a very odd film, I can kind of understand how it managed to get its, its cult following, uh, but it is in no way a bad film, let's at least say that. Uh, it's more of an interesting one. And interestingly, uh, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half out of four. And later on, he was asked, you know, why the high rating? And he was like, I don't know why I didn't give it a four out of four. Quite frankly, no. uh, he he was he didn't he couldn't remember why he, he missed half a point off. Uh, you know, so obviously he thought it was a really good film as well. Um, so, well, that being said, uh, let us go to plugs uh, and I will start with Andy. Is there anything that you wish to plug Andy?
0: Yeah, people can check out all the movie conversations that we have on the Next Real Film podcast. Uh, we. You do Marvel Movie Minute. Uh, We have a number of other movie-related shows. You can find out more about all of those, including all the Tom Hanks movies we've covered, over at thenextreal.com.
2: I co-host a podcast with my sister Valerie called Falling in Love Montage, in which we cover chick flicks. Have been doing so for a little more than five years now. I think, actually, the only Tom Hanks one we've done thus far is A League of Their Own, but we will fix that. (laughs) Um, I think at the time of this episode's publication, we'll have just done The Wedding Singer, but I'd also love to plug our April episode in which we covered 16 Candles, um, which is a movie I can't recommend, but an episode I do recommend (laughs) because for every download we will be donating a dollar each to both rain.org and stop AAP I hate, and one of our listeners has also offered to 10 times match that donation Wow! so we still haven't hit the, it's up to 500 downloads, so we still haven't hit that mark so if everyone could go download that episode and then like not watch 16 Candles that'd be great (laughs) (laughs)
3: and robert uh when this episode comes out i will actually have no active shows which is weird for me because i have a lot you can find links to them all on lemmingdrops.com but i would like to mention that in the next month or two i will be starting four different shows Wow! they go to um okay tom hanks yeah Minutia ex machina Groundhog Day Project, Minute by Minute, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. Those three are going to be going together once a week and tying together. And then behind Patreon mostly, I'll put some episodes out so people know about it. I'm doing a Twin Peaks radio where I'm going and looking at Twin Peaks in far more detail than episode by episode. I don't know exactly. Some details of that, I'm just like, I'm going to talk about that for like an hour. It's fine.
1: Are you going to follow that up with on the air radio? That would make sense. since it was about a... <laughs> A radio show. No. Okay. On the air, if, for people who don't know, is the follow-up that David Lynch and Lynch and Frost did after Twin Peaks, directly after it. They immediately went and did this show. I think it only lasted 13 episodes. Uh, and it had uh, the guy who's like the menswear guy on Twin Peaks. What's his name again? Dick? The one who has little Nicky. Dick Tremaine? There. Dick, yeah. Yeah, Dick Tremaine is, is the main guy on, on the oh, air. I haven't watched that. Uh, which I remember, I remember watching because I was like a huge fan of Twin Peaks because Laura Palmer has the same birthday as me. <laughs> um and also her her death was the same as my my little brother's birthday. <laughs> so uh which is an odd thing. Um you know, but uh yeah. So I was a huge Twin Peaks fan. So when on the air came out I was like, oh something else that's like Twin Peaks. I must watch it. <laughs> um and I and then it's never been seen in 30 years. <laughs> so uh you know people you know probably don't even know what that was and should you wish to find us you can find us on twitter at the extremely awkward t underscore ft memory because I couldn't get t hanks for the memories to fit in a handle so I had to go with that I kept abbreviating it in many different ways that was the best I could come up with Uh, so thanks to everyone for being my guest here today thank
0: you thanks for having us thanks for having us
1: and you know this film was fairly hot but next time we're going to be having a bonfire of the vanities.
2: Ehe oh he oh cowboy,
3: ehe oh he oh he oh cowboy, cowboy, cowboy under the moon. I was riding my horse by the Rio Grande.
0: And all of them coyotes singing in a prairie symphony.
1: I was riding my horse down by the Rio Grande when I seen me a
3: cowboy, cowboy, cowboy riding towards me. Ee
2: cowboy, yo, yo, cowboy. Hey, yo, yo, hoo, hoo. You,
3: you cowboy, cowboy, cowboy Under the moon